Welcome to Hope for the Caregiver here on American Family Radio. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is the program for you as a family caregiver. Hopeforthecaregiver.com. Hopeforthecaregiver.com. How are you doing today? What's going on with you? I've been doing a series on things about safety and helping caregivers stay safe. And it looks a lot different than you might think. I mean, you know, you can always talk about, you know, seatbelts and all that kind of stuff. But I, I want to swerve into some areas that we may not have considered. And one of them was prompted by our Facebook group that we have, which you're welcome to join. It's it's um, Hope for the Caregiver, the group. There's a page, Hope for the Caregiver, then there's a group. And the group you have to answer a few questions for. And if you want to go out there and join it, we'd, we'd love to have you. I maintain control over that group and try to, at least as best as I can, and try to keep it from being a place where unwanted types of comments are made. And it's a safe place for caregivers to go and process out some things. And we have some some very meaningful discussions. I got a comment back from one of the group members who expressed appreciation to me in this program for not condescending to caregivers in this audience. And I very much appreciate the compliment and, and the gratitude that she showed but I got to tell you, it hurts to think that she's been on the receiving end of people who have been. And I want to reiterate that to you all of just how much I respect the journey of the family caregiver. I'm still doing it. And when I set out to do this show, and I want to give a little bit of background history and then swerve into the safety component of this, may stretch into the next segment. But when I started doing this program many years ago, I, I remember going to a radio station there in Nashville, big one. Uh, it was actually WLAC, right there on Music Row, and uh, their big iHeart station, and they're the station that carried all the big talk radio people and everything else. And I went to them and laid out my vision for what I wanted to do, and they didn't get it. They just looked at me and like, you mean like nursing homes? And I said, no. And so they said, no, we just don't see this as being viable. So I went across the street. Uh, uh, on the other side of Music Row, there was a small mom-and-pop station, and I worked there for about eight or nine months doing my show on Wednesday at about, I think it's about noon. And it was, um, like I said, really a tiny station, but I, I did it, and the guys over at WLAC were listening to it. And they called me up, and, and they said, we've been listening to your show. We think it's a fit here. Why don't you come on over here? So I made the move and went over there on Sunday mornings, and I would do the show and then go to church. And I would play the piano at church after leaving the show, and I'd get there in time to play the prelude at, the, at, at Covenant Presbyterian Church there in Nashville where this terrible shooting happened recently. And... Eventually, I moved the show to Sunday afternoons, but I did this for a long time. But but I set out to do something with a singular purpose, which is to build up the family caregiver. And it took a while for people to understand what it is I was doing, why I was doing it, what the need was. Now, the people that heard my show that were caregivers immediately started connecting. They understood it. People that weren't caregivers, they had to scratch their heads a little bit. But over time, the audience started building, and, and eventually the show grew, and then American Family Radio took notice, 
and brought me into their network. And other networks now carry the show, the Truth Networks and some other affiliates around the country that carry the program now. But all of it has, at its core, this singular, unswerving commitment to build up, to fortify, to equip, to strengthen the family caregiver, whom I consider to be an at-risk individual. And I've heard other talk shows. I've listened to talk radio for a long time. And I heard other talk shows that when you have a caller call in and they got a problem and the host would just excoriate the individual. I mean, just really tear into them, you know, make fun of them or, or whatever, or, or, or they kind of talk down to the audience. We've all heard those kinds of people. And I hated that. I purposed to do a show that I wanted to hear. Something that I wish was available during most of my journey as a caregiver. And so I started talking to caregivers the way I would want somebody to talk to me. And the overwhelming response that I get from this audience is, you are saying what I am feeling. It's like you're speaking directly to me. And to that I say mission accomplished because that's what I set out to do. To sit down with you and a cup of coffee and hash out these issues that lurk at the basement of our soul. And how do we navigate through this? I am the last person that could condescend to anybody. I am replete with a, a long list of failures. So who am I to, in any way, um, disparage another caregiver? Where my confidence lies on this program is in the message, which is far greater than I am. I'm irrelevant. The message is not. The experience is not. And when you have that kind of unswerving confidence in a message of that importance, you don't deviate from that and you don't feel the need to elevate oneself above it. I'm about as goofy as they come. Y'all know that. Anybody who's been listening to the show for more than 10 minutes knows that I'm, you know, half nuts sometimes. And that's okay. The principles I talk about are not. They are not goofy, and they are bedrock. And I want to help as many caregivers as I can stand on those principles as they navigate through the very, very difficult journey of caring for somebody with a chronic impairment. Because what it does is it exposes the things in us that are not very pretty. You know that, and I know that. And we see ourselves under a glare that we would prefer not to. That's the bad news. The good news is when we take that gunk to Christ, what he does with it, when we allow him to sort it out, that's when the extraordinary transformation happens where we can start to live a little more peacefully, a little calmer, a little healthier, and even a little more joyfully. But it takes being willing to see it under that kind of glare and bring it to help, to get help with it. And part of that conversation usually starts off with, how are you feeling? That's what I ask pretty much everybody. Callers to this program, people I see, I, I was at the post office yesterday and 
an old rancher, and I love the the expressions a lot of the old ranchers out here have in Montana. And an old rancher came in, and I said, how are you feeling? He said, I'm not sure, and I'm not going to ask around. <laughs> I thought that was just hilarious. I'm not sure, and I'm not going to ask around. <laughs> I just love that. But the point of asking somebody how they're feeling is not to base life on our feelings, but it's to have a, a conversation starter of where are you? What's going on with you? How are you doing? I talk to fellow caregivers the way I desperately wish somebody had talked to me and spoken to me. And I set out to do a radio program that spoke to caregivers the way I wish a radio program had spoken to me. I had to forage for a lot of the things that you hear me talk about on this program. And it's my hope that you won't have to, at least not as much as I did, and that you won't have to make the kind of mistakes that I did. I can't ensure that you won't. I can't change people's lives. But what I can do is put the information out there in a way that's easier to understand and available and in a way that makes sense to us as caregivers. That's the purpose of this program. So that we can get to safety. In some respects, I'm kind of a crossing guard. I feel compelled to hold up my hand and stop the traffic of people who criticize while helping fellow caregivers get to safety like this lady in our Facebook group. We're going to talk some more about this when we come back from the break. This is Peter Rosenberg. This is Hope for the Caregiver. We'll be right back. In churches, and a lot of churches today, the issue of identity is sort of like the big elephant in the room. It's in the news, but it's not in the church. So if it's in society, it needs to be something the churches are addressing. In his image, Delighting in God's plan for gender and sexuality is now available for church screenings and events. Every person in America needs to see this. And all pastors need to show this to the church, get the people informed. If the church and Jesus isn't the answer, where's the world going? We want the message of the film to touch as many hearts and lives as possible. And we'd love to join with you to bring the film to your community. So let's say you have a small group or your church, or we've even been bringing the film into some prisons. We want to partner with you. So what we'll do is we'll send you a special kit and it's completely free and it'll just have some extra resources to help you promote your event. To find out more about how to host an event, go to inhisimage.movie and click on the host an event tab. That's inhisimage.movie. The word of God tells us many times in one form or another, fear not. Today in the world, many people are very fearful about some of the many perils and dangerous happenings that are going on in the world. Psalm 91 verses 1 and 2 tell us, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God in Him I will trust. I'm Joseph Parker, and we here at the American Family Association would like to remind you, fear not. Put your trust in the Lord. We'd like to both encourage and challenge you to aggressively put your faith to work. And one way to do that is to pray Psalm 91 daily for yourself and your family and keep your trust in Him. If you'd like to get a copy of the Psalm 91 prayer for yourself, email us here at psalm91 at afa.net. Again, that's psalm91 at afa.net.
Welcome back to Hope for the Caregiver. This is Peter Rosenberger. So glad that you are with us. HopefortheCaregiver.com. HopefortheCaregiver.com. We're continuing our discussion from the last block prompted by this uh, participant in our Facebook group who appreciated the fact that I wasn't condescending to the audience on this program. And it, it takes me back a little bit to think, wow, there's are there people that would do this? You know, that would go on the air and be condescending to a caregiver. You know, what kind of person would do such a thing? Uh, You know, because obviously somebody who hadn't been a caregiver long enough, who somehow thinks more of themselves than they should. And and I'm sorry that this individual had to go through that. And I, I, again, I set out to do this program in a way that I wish somebody had said these things to me. And I think that the the thing about being a caregiver as long as I have and through the kind of journey I've had is that it gives you ample time to really explore what the core issues are. And it's not a situation where, okay, I have been a caregiver for a couple of years and now I'm an expert. I'm going to go ahead and tell you how to do it. I wouldn't dream of telling you how to caregive for your loved one any more than I would allow a stranger to tell me how to take care of Gracie. That's not the purpose of this program, and that's not the way you help a caregiver. Caregiving tasks and tips and activities, you know, you can find plenty of information on that. If, For example, if you're dealing with somebody with dementia, there are so many resources out there to kind of help you with that sort of stuff. But to my knowledge, this is the only national program that goes into the dark minds of a caregiver's heart. And discusses that fear that lurks there. And how do we let go of that and grab a hold of purpose and gratitude? It talks about that obligation that drives us to into, into resentment. Um, and how do we let go of that and instead embrace stewardship? And we talk about that guilt that is gnawing at our hearts. And how do we put that aside and instead embrace grace? Those are the things that I think are worthy of having a conversation about with every caregiver. Fear, obligation, and guilt, the fog of caregivers, is what gets all of us in a mess. Me too, still, to this day. I mean, right now. <laughs> you know, I, it's not, This is not a one-and-done thing with me. I'm going to be wrestling with this until Jesus calls me home. Because I think that's the human condition. And I come into this conversation about caregivers knowing that the human condition is fraught with frailty, that we are a messed up, broken people who are not, contrary to what the news may tell you in academia and Hollywood, we're not evolving. We're not getting better We're just learning how to sin more efficiently, as Billy Graham once said. But we're not becoming better people on our own. That's the ridiculous thinking that led to the Tower of Babel. You know, we we will ascend. I mean, you know, that's that's permeated our species from the get-go, that somehow we think we got a better idea than God does. Of course, that's there's nothing could be further from the truth. That is the essence of our sin is somehow thinking we can self-righteous ourselves into a better way of living. And, and we can't. These things that plague us 
are common to everyone, but in the caregiving world, they come at us in waves, in relentless waves. Just we keep seeing it over and over and over, wishing we could put it on the shelf for a while like other people and and not have to deal with some of the, the ugly things in our own hearts. But there it is again. There it is again. There it is again. That's the bad news, like I said in the last block. But the good news is there is a path. There is a redeemer. There is one who would take all of that and has taken it and replace that with his righteousness. So we don't have to attain that righteousness. We don't have to be a good caregiver. People come and say, oh, you're such a good caregiver. Are you kidding me? I'm not a good caregiver. Gracie would tell you that, and I would tell you that too. But I'm a redeemed caregiver. And I go back to what Paul says in Galatians. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live the life I live in this body, the life I live as a caregiver, I think I can safely say, that I live by faith in the Son of God. Now, what does that look like as a caregiver? Well, when I get it right, then I'm living that faith out. So it's still not me. (laughs) It is this new life that's saying, you know what? I can do this. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That I can do this. I can endure this. I can be sustained in this. I can persevere. And when I make a mistake, then I can in faith trust that he's given me the the courage and the the grace to to make amends and to walk in... eat a little crow, you know, as we have to do as caregivers often. And that's that's the point. We settle our hearts down by understanding who we are in Christ. That's how it works. It's 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 pretty straight up. So if I'm constantly striving to be that better caregiver, man, I'm gonna make myself and everybody else around me miserable. I'm not good enough. There's nothing I can do that's going to offset my own human nature. I've thought about doing a, uh, you know, the, you know, the lady that falls and she presses the button and calls emergency service. I thought about doing instead of I've fallen, it says I'm fallen and I can't get up. <laughs> I cannot save myself. I cannot redeem myself. I cannot lift myself into some level of righteousness that exceeds my unrighteousness. I can't do it. But he says, I don't have to. He knows that. If I could, he wouldn't need to come to earth and die on the cross. I mean, think about it. So as I continue to plead guilty and go straight to execution, saying, you know, I can't, I know me. And then that gives me that wherewithal. He, he, instead of me striving all the time, he equips me with peace to just to, to trust him and to be at peace. Settle down. Breathe. Now, that is the, the journey for countless believers throughout history. But in the world of caregivers, it becomes compressed Instead of spreading that over weeks and months and even years and decades for some people, 
we get it crammed into hours in an afternoon, you know, kind of thing, because of the relentless opportunities to recognize that we can't do it. We, we, we are faced with that all the time. So the more that, you ever heard of that top of mind awareness, TOMA, T-O-M-A, top of mind awareness? The more that that is in our mind, that we are not capable of this and that we have a Savior who equips us to do it. The more that is in our mind, the calmer we will be. The more at peace we can be. What did Jesus say? Peace I give to you, not as the world gives. And see, what does the world give? What, what, what does that look like? We've talked about this on the program just a couple of weeks ago. What does that look like? Well, it looks like you got all your ducks in a row, that everything is, you, you know, the, the bills are paid. You've got a little extra money. Everybody's healthy. Uh, you've got a good job or, you know, your favorite show comes on tonight, <laughs> whatever. You know, that's what the world says, that we, go to, we feel better. But that's not the peace that we get from Christ. His peace says we can be content in any situation. Paul said, you know, I've had plenty, I've had lack, I've had this, I've had that. I'm, I'm good. I can be content in anything. Now, can we do that as caregivers? Even while we look at somebody who is suffering, somebody who is out of control behavior-wise, something that is just wearing us down, yeah, we can't. It's hard. But we can. But not on our own strength. And that's where the striving happens when we try to wrest it away from God. Instead of that top of mind awareness, Toma, T-O-M-A, that this is not up to us. So when you talk to caregivers, and let me let me just switch gears a little bit. This audience, it's constantly growing and there are a lot of people that inadvertently listen that aren't caregivers that are trying to kind of catch up a little bit normally I don't really spend a lot of time talking to non-caregivers because this show is for the family caregiver but if you just put that on pause for a minute I want to talk to people that are not caregivers currently right now when you talk to a caregiver that's what you bring to them to help them that's what helps a caregiver is to understand that they can trust this Jesus with their loved one. doesn't mean that their workload is going to change, but it's how they approach the work is going to change. But if you come to them and say, you should be doing this and you need to be doing that and you shoulda, woulda, coulda and everything else, man, all you're doing is just heaping guilt, shame, remorse, despair, all those things on them. So anyway, that's my public service announcement for talking to a caregiver if you're not one. Back to my audience. Those words, should and need, I've tried really hard to get them out of my vocabulary because I'm not in a position to tell anybody what they should do and what they need to do. Every now and then, one or two of those words will slip. (laughs) and You're welcome to call me on it. But I really try to get those out of my vocabulary because I'm not in a position to tell you what you should do or what you need to do or what you have to do. Who am I? But here's what I've discovered. Here's what I've learned. Here's what I've witnessed. Here's what I've touched, felt, seen, held, 
And these are the principles that I live by. And for me, there is no other place to go. Now, I have taken this thing way down the highway than most people do. You know, 37 years is a long time. And I've seen these principles sustained throughout all of it. But I've never seen my own efforts, my own striving, and my own shoulda, woulda, coulda, and I need to, and I have to, and I must, I have, I'm supposed to. I've never seen that sustain me at all. All that does is create more tension. It's part of our safety conversation this week, and we'll talk some more when we come back. This is Peter Rosenberg, and we'll be right back. Jenna Ellis in the morning. You need to be very concerned about what your children are being exposed to if they go to a public school or even if they go to a Christian school. Parents are not just allowed, they have a constitutionally protected fundamental right that is God-given to direct the education, well-being, and faith options of their children. Jenna Ellis in the morning, weekdays at 7 Central on American Family Radio. A Bible was placed on a POW MIA remembrance table in a VA hospital to remember a World War II vet. A lawsuit was filed by Religious Freedom Foundation to remove the Bible, calling it repugnant. A judge threw out the case. No one was forcing people to read the Bible. Religious freedom gives us the right to believe or not believe. I wonder if people who are driven by such hatred realize demonic powers are influencing them. I'm Pastor John Miller. Visit me at churchontherock.org. This is Frank Affney with the Secure Freedom Minute. Kudos to Speaker Kevin McCarthy and his House Republican Caucus for insisting this week that in exchange for authorizing the federal government to borrow still more money, steep cuts must be made in its expenditures. Unsurprisingly, those who bin spend irresponsibly and pay for it by simply printing more money want no part of such budgetary discipline. President Biden and Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer insist that the House debt ceiling bill is unacceptable. That's a formula for national disaster. Their approach amounts to charging trillions more on America's overextended credit card. The Chinese Communist Party and its friends are already making real progress on toppling the dollar as the world's reserve currency, which would have extremely dire consequences for all of us. Every effort must be made to prevent that calamity, including by standing with the House Republicans on the debt ceiling. This is Frank Gaffney. Welcome back to Hope for the Caregiver. This is Peter Rosenberg, and I'm very, very glad that you're with us. We're talking about reorienting our thinking. I, I believe for us as caregivers, this is this is my conviction, this is my personal belief, that the battle is really in our minds. And regardless of what's going on with our loved ones, and we are better equipped to that if we change the way we think and approach these problems. We're not going to take away these things necessarily we're not they're not necessarily going to get easier or better but we can get better and we can handle them differently and i i gotta tell you i um the first time i ever played the piano in front of anybody in a recital situation it was a bit nerve-wracking i forgot the last half of the piece and so i made it up (laughs) right there on the spot in front of my piano teacher. My dad gets the biggest 
kick out of she's gone on to be with the Lord now. She was a wonderful pianist. And she was um, rather stern, delightful lady, but but also rather stern. And she, you know, she was face palming out there in the audience. <laughs> just would just put her head down because she knew what I was doing. But but I got through it, and I don't think that a lot of people knew what I was doing. Uh, but I was I was nervous, and I made it up. You know, the last half of the song, I think it was Bach, and. You know, I'm a little bit different now in my approach to the piano. I still will mess things up. I'll still forget things. I've been playing sometimes, and I and I look down at the keyboard, and I have no idea where I am. And I'll just I'll figure out some way out of it and climb out of that musical ditch that I found myself in and, and keep going. But without the freak out and anything else because I've been doing this for a long time because I learned to be confident in this. Well, that's the way it is with anything. I mean, you know, so as my belief is this, is that we are not going to solve the problem. We're still going to forget things halfway through a piece. We're still going to make a mistake. We're going to get off track. We're going to get lost. But we don't have to freak out. And we don't have to be um, a, a catalyst for people that are around us to freak out either that we can stay a little calmer, a little healthier, and kind of find a way back to where we need to be and trust our experience, and more importantly, trust God's faithfulness in this, that he's not abandoning us. This is not some punitive assignment that we're on to serve as caregivers because of some punishment. Some people feel that way. Sometimes I've felt that way. But this is not penance, okay? We're not, we're not wrapped up in penance here. This is an opportunity to work out things in our own life, for God to work out things in us, for us to see his principle and his provisions, and to care for somebody that we love very much, and to grow through this process. The, the theological term for this is called sanctification, because that's what's going on. The more this stuff is chiseled off of us and the, the gunky stuff is, is purged out of us and replaced with Christ, that's, that's sanctification. You know, I love that Keith Green tune. Um, Gracie sings it. I may have to play that here uh, coming back from the next break. My one and only goal is his image in my soul. For my want to, I need to be more like Jesus. It's a great song. And that's, that's kind of the point, is that we are, um, John the Baptist said it, he must increase, I must decrease. And as I get older and I've seen my work, I've seen my handiwork, <laughs> I've seen my, my failures, I realize that's not a, a burden to say that he must increase, I must decrease. That is a gift because I've seen what I can do when I am taking my eyes off of Christ. I've seen what I'm capable of. And I don't want to do that. And that's why the nature of this program is not designed to in any way condescend or give some kind of pity or, you know, say they're there. You know, I don't, that, that doesn't interest me at all. I'm not a they're there kind of guy. I'm a don't go down there kind of guy. <laughs> and I say, let's head towards there. That's what I do. Let's go 
to there. Let's go to that place because that place is safe. That place is solid. And that place is always on these biblical principles that we're talking about. So if you see somebody or you hear somebody condescending to you or to another caregiver, and what that condescension looks like is saying, well, you should be doing this. What's the matter with you? Why didn't you do this? What's, you know, you should have, you would have, you could. If you, if you experience that yourself personally or see it happening, back away from that individual quickly and help a caregiver back away from them. Because that is so crushing. I've, I've had people do that to me. And that is soul crushing. I've done it to others. And I've had to go back and make amends for it. I, you know, again, ample time to make a lot of mistakes, y'all. <laughs> because that's just, that's just my life. So to that Facebook group participant who said that, good news. Well, I appreciate the kind words you said about my soul the only one that we look to with admiration who condescends is the one who condescended to us to become like us, to be humiliated for us so that we can, and as he was raised from the dead, and we can be identified with him in his crucifixion and in his resurrection. And he lifts us and elevates us in him. The condescension she's talking about is, the, is really derision it's contempt, but he did not come to condemn us. He came to redeem us, and he condescended to do it. That's the gospel. That's the message. That's the whole point of it. And we run to this Christ, and we avoid listening to those kinds of people that would say those kinds of things because he doesn't. He does not say that. He says, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Okay? So that's our safety tip this time is avoid listening to these people. Stay away from those kinds of people that would condescend to you and just recognize that there is one who lowered himself to grab a hold of you, to redeem you, to rescue you, to purchase you, and will sustain you as you go through these very difficult trials that you're going through. And these things may last for a lifetime. Some are called to that. And he will sustain. He does sustain. And as I approach my... 38th year of this, and Gracie is in her 40th year of being hurt. We will both tell you, he does sustain. All right? I need to pivot just a bit in the last part of this segment. I want to, and I may continue this on to the next one, I want to address something. I get a lot of uh, books sent to me, uh, people want to come on the program to promote their book. They've got this going, this going, whatever. And they don't, I, I'm finding more often than not, they, they see I have a program and then they want to come on it because I have a platform and I help them sell their books. And that's great. I'm, I'm, I've done that with many people myself and I'm happy to help 
because people have helped me. I'd like to give you a few practical tips on that for those of you who are even thinking in that direction. Now, these aren't caregiving tips. This is not caregiver stuff. This is media stuff and speaking and communication. Some of you may be in a position where you could teach Sunday school. Some of you may be feeling a call to the ministry. Some of you may be feeling all kinds of leadings and calls to go into all kinds of places. If you're going to go on the radio, if you're going to go on television, if you're going to be up in front of people, there's a couple of things that would be helpful for you to wrestle with before you do such a thing. And part of that is knowing what your message is and who your audience is. And I have people that have wanted to come on the show and they didn't even know what the show was. They just saw that I had a radio show. And and I always ask them, are you a caregiver? Uh, well, I'm a parent. I said, well, that's a parent, but that's not what I asked. Uh, <laughs> sorry, a little pun. But I would also say, okay, well, what's your book about? Well, it's this or whatever. It, no connection to you all whatsoever. So why in the world would I bring somebody onto this program that cannot offer you anything, but they're just promoting their own book and agenda, whatever. And if it's not going to equip you and inspire you, elevate you as an audience, or me for that matter, then why would I, why would I inflict that on people? So I'm, I'm getting a little bit more judicious. Is that a good word? <laughs> judicious on, on who I want to talk to or allowed to talk to you on this program. This is your time. You know, you, 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 this, there, the, there's precious little for the family caregiver that can elevate our hearts. And I don't feel like compromising that at all. So I, so if you're, if you're feeling called to come and speak on this program, if you happen to hear this on the podcast or on the broadcast, I'm always willing to have a conversation about it, but it would be helpful if you actually knew what the program was before you call me or reach out to me. Okay. That's number one, but more importantly, know who your audience is. Know who you're speaking to. My speakers bureau, um, one of the biggest complaints they said they get off of a lot of the speakers that they've encountered over the years is they didn't know who their audience was. And so they go out there and they have a, a canned speech or a general speech, and it means nothing. There's an old saying, if you speak to everyone, you speak to no one. I'm not here to speak to everyone. I'm here to speak to family caregivers. I know who I am called to speak to. And people say, well, you need to have a bigger audience. I mean, you're, you're saying stuff that would really apply, maybe do some political stuff or whatever. I, I appreciate the compliment. I appreciate the thoughts. But that's not really where my heart is. My heart is to my fellow caregivers. I know this audience. I know this journey. And I, the last thing I want to do is try to you know, be a political pundit or something and get out of my lane. This is my lane. And I've, I, I'm, I'm very comfortable here. And I look for speakers who found their lane. I look for people to come on this show who found their message, their audience, who, who are committed to that and not just committed to sounding clever. You follow me? And there's some things we can explore to help us do that uh, better when we find that place. And we'll, when I come back, we'll talk about some of those things. I just thought it might be helpful. Okay, this is Peter Rosenberg, and this is Hope for the Caregiver. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Peter Rosenberg. Have you ever helped somebody walk for the first time? 
I've had that privilege many times through our organization, Standing with Hope. When my wife, Gracie, gave up both of her legs following this horrible wreck that she had as a teenager, and she tried to save them for years, and it just wouldn't work out, and finally she relinquished them and thought, wow, this is it. I mean, I don't have any legs anymore. What can God do with that? And then she had this vision for using prosthetic limbs as a means of sharing the gospel, to put legs on her fellow amputees. And that's what we've been doing now since 2005 with Standing With Hope. We work in the West African country of Ghana, and you can be a part of that through supplies, through supporting team members, through supporting the work that we're doing over there. You could designate a limb. There's all kinds of ways that you could be a part of giving the gift that keeps on walking at standingwithhope.com. Would you take a moment to go out to standingwithhope.com and see how you can give they go walking and leaping and praising God. You can be a part of that at standingwithhope.com. When struggles come, it's easy to wish your teens wouldn't make dumb decisions or rebel against the values you hold dear. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. Your family may seem like it's spiraling out of control, but you have a choice. Keep wishing that everything were different or choose to accept reality. Maybe the struggle you face with your teen today is actually an avenue for God's grace to show up in your household. Perhaps the conflict is actually causing you to trust God for the outcome more now than ever before. So today, don't chase the fantasy of a perfect home with perfect relationships. Thank God for the mess in front of you, because that's what He's chosen to use in your life. Do you have teenagers under your roof? Find more encouragement and helpful resources online at ParentingTodaysTeens.org. My one and only God, His image in my soul. Yes, my weakness is revealed, but by His stripes I'm healed. He's faithful and He's true. Welcome back to Hope for the Caregiver. That is Gracie. That is that great song, I Want to Be More Like Jesus. And I just love that, to hear her sing that. And I love that my, my one and only goal is His image in my soul. And that's how we do this as caregivers. That, that has to be it. There's no other path. Okay? Can you just trust me on that one? That I've, I've gone down enough of those paths to realize there's... there's there's no other path. Now, if you want to not take my word for it and try it yourself, you go right ahead. Let me know how that works out. But I, I got the scars to prove it. I've caused the scars. And I have no other place to go but to the one who bears scars for me. And that's my, again, my safety tip for you all in this program today is, is, Avoid those individuals who would in any way deride you or talk down to you. Um, when you're vulnerable like we are as caregivers, when you're doing the best you know to do, when you're struggling, when you're despairing, when you're upset, when you're frustrated, you don't need anybody to talk down to you. You need somebody who stooped down for you, okay? And that's that's our Savior. All right, back to what I was talking about the last segment of learning how to communicate and speak 
if you want to take this to another level. And some of you do. I get books and letters and emails and so forth about people that do want to do that and share their testimony. The Lord has put something on your heart and you want to do it. Well, part of that is you're going to have to discipline it. A lot of people would love to play the piano the way I do, but don't necessarily want to put in the time to learn how to do it. And and that's part of the journey for us. If we're going to be excellent at anything, then we're going to have to put in the time for it. And part of the time of being a speaker, part of the time of going on radio or television or anything else that, that happens in the media and broadcasting is learning how to articulate your message. You've heard of an elevator speech. That's when you have 30 seconds in the elevator with somebody and they say, what do you do? And you've got to be able to explain it by the time you get to the next floor. I say 30 seconds is too long. I say you ought to be able to do it in 10 seconds. But that takes work and a lot of wrestling with some great ideas. You know the old saying, if you need a 20-minute speech, I'll have it ready in the morning. If you need a five-minute speech, you got to give me two weeks. It takes a lot of work to condense something down. You have to spend time with it. Shakespeare said, brevity is the soul of wit. You've got to be able to spend time with the subject matter in order to say it simply. That's, that's the price. That's what it takes. And there are no shortcuts around that. If you cannot say your subject matter simply, then you haven't spent enough time with it. And somebody said, well, give me an example. I said, okay, I don't need 30 seconds to tell you what the mission of this show and my books and everything is about. It's three seconds. Healthy caregivers make better caregivers, period. That's it. Now, I can unpack that for three hours. I can unpack it for a lot longer than that. I've been doing the show for over 12 years. And when I first started, people looked at me and said, how are you going to be able to do a show about caregivers and fill up a whole hour? We have about 700 programs on our podcast, which I would encourage you to check out, hopeforthecaregiver.com. Go out to the podcast. That's the name of the podcast, Hope for the Caregiver. You can get it wherever you get podcasts, Apple, whatever, Amazon. But 700 episodes over 12 years. Now, you can unpack this forever if you know your subject matter, but can you condense it? Anybody can blather, but can you condense it? Can you say it concisely? Can you put it on a bumper sticker? Can you say it so succinctly because you've spent time with it? You live it. You understand it. And so for those of you who feel called to get up in front of people and speak or write a book or preach or teach or come on my program or other radio programs or television programs or people's podcasts, I encourage you to work on your message. Know your audience. Know your message. Be able to share it at a moment's notice without any hesitation, whatever. So you got your your elevator speech, which I think should be very short. Then you have what they call a, a stadium speech, where you get up in front of a whole bunch of people, but for a very short amount of time, maybe three minutes. A friend of mine asked me a long time ago, if you were on Good Morning America, for example, and you had three minutes to say something to the world, what would you say? That question prompted me to go deep into that. Set a timer and see how long it takes you to say certain things. Get used to saying it. Practice saying it. Let your mouth move. It takes practice. And I'll give you a piece of advice that a guy gave me when I first started doing radio. He said, leave the crutches at home. 
I said, what do you mean? He said, well, when people go on the radio, they feel like they have to have a radio voice. You know, hey, we'll be right back, you know, kind of thing. You know, And there are guys out there that have great professional radio voices. I mean, when you hear Mike Rowe talk, I mean, what a voice that guy has. He said, but, you know, you're not Mike Rowe. So you talk like you. You be you. And the only thing that I asked Gracie one time, I said, do I have a radio voice now after I've been doing this for a while? She says, not really, but you enunciate better. <laughs> so I thought, man, what did I sound like before? You know, hey, y'all. You know, but you want to enunciate. You want to speak clearly. You want to answer the question, but you don't always have to go with the question that is asked. You can frame the conversation. I like to answer people's questions directly, and then I like to redirect it. You know that old saying, the customer's always right? Well, they're not. The customer's rarely right, but they're always the customer. And it's not your job to capitulate to the customer. And sometimes the newscaster that's asking you a question, but it is your responsibility and opportunity to educate, to teach them about what it is you do and why you do it. So I've had many reporters ask me questions before the interview. I mean, we're live on television, whatever. And it, they were quite truthfully ignorant, stupid questions. But that's okay because it gives me a starting point to help them see what it is I'm doing and why I'm doing it. And then we have a good conversation. So don't depend on somebody to ask you the right question. And that's part of you understanding your message. And if you don't know your message, that that's that's a problem. Okay, if you can't articulate it and set a timer and say it in a way that is concise and meaningful and understandable and try to avoid the God talk. If you notice, a lot of people fill up the conversation with tried and true Christian E statements. In the world, I, I saw this in a review of, of a movie, a secular review of a movie, and the reviewer said the writing gaps were filled with profanity. Now, that was a secular reviewer talking about, of course, a secular movie. They said it was just poor writing, and so they filled the gaps up with profanity. That's a lazy way to communicate. Well, I would suggest to you as believers, we fill the gap up with a lot of Christianese, a lot of God talk. It makes us sound more spiritual. We don't need to do that. One guy I know always lectures and preaches. He's like, there can be no remission of sin without the shedding of blood. Well, that's true. That's scripture. But what does that mean? Unpack that. Or can you can you unpack that for somebody who has no concept of what that even means of why there has to be shedding of blood? Does that mean if he bleeds, then that is atoning blood? Or does it have to be the emptying out of one's life? What does remission mean? You see where I'm going with this? Being concise and being precise. Okay, that's the goal if you want to be in any kind of public speaking, media broadcast, anything like that, writing a book, all those kinds of things. Learn your subject matter and learn it well. Be an expert at what you talk about. And oftentimes the best expertise we have is our own experience. If you remember, Scripture says they overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. I don't have to go out and memorize a speech on how to share my faith with people. I remember a caller 
she called into the show one time when I was doing Drop the Needle and, and playing, you know, Name That Song. And it was, he touched me and I'll never forget her. I said, tell me why that song's important to you. And she said, because I used to be one way and now I'm not that way anymore. I said, man, now that is concise and that is precise. That is somebody who understands her relationship with Christ. And I love that. I've always, I've always admired that moment when she called in and shared that. I, I can't remember her name. She's from North Carolina. And if you're listening today, I just want you to know how much that affected me when I heard you say that. So we are called to go out and make disciples and teach. That's teaching. That's what it means to make disciples. You're teaching. You're instructing. In order to do that, you got to spend some time with your subject matter. You got to really know what you're talking about and be able to say it in a, in a meaningful way. If you are going to be in broadcasting, if you're going to come on somebody's show, if you're going to get up in front of people, if you feel called to those things, that's great. But don't don't go after somebody just because they have a show and and you've got a book and now you're ready to do the the media circuit. Be ruthless with yourself. I'm ruthless with myself. I go back and listen to this program. I record things that I do and I am ruthless with myself. I have to be. And you want to always seek to improve it. I'm a pretty good pianist and I never stop practicing. And I push myself to play better. Study and show yourself approved. That's what scripture tells us. And so if that's something you want to do, and I'm certainly willing, if you, if you, particularly if you're a caregiver, and you want to test the waters and see, I'm willing to have that conversation with you, but I'm asking you to do some homework first, okay? This is Peter Rosenberg. This is Hope for the Caregiver, hopeforthecaregiver.com, and we will see you next time. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast do not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.